Virginia governor and infanticide defender Ralph Northam signs the Reproductive Health Protection Act, but it has nothing to do with reproduction or women's health, quite the opposite. Then actress Jamie Lee Curtis teams up with Planned Parenthood to promote telehealth with the goal of helping women access do-it-yourself abortions at home. We will examine why pro-abortion ideology rots the brain. I'm Seth Gruber and this is Unaborted. Welcome to Unaborted with Seth Gruber. Thanks for tuning in today. Again, I hope you're well and staying healthy, and I hope that your state will be opening again soon, along with our state here in California, because we're all ready to get back to normal. Hey, if you enjoy this show and you've been listening to it for a little while, please consider giving us a review and a rating. It really helps. Go to wherever you listen or YouTube if you watch this show. Give us a rating and review, uh, particularly on such a controversial topic. Anytime pro aboard see this show, they give it nasty reviews, drive down the ratings and the visibility of our show. So go ahead and do that for us. That would really help and share it with a friend. Well, you recall in January of 2019, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo signed the Reproductive Health Act, which legalized abortion through day of birth and removed abortions from the penal code in the state of New York. So if a man murdered a pregnant woman, he would not be charged with two counts of homicide, but rather just one. Well, some other very left-leaning and blue states began passing similar legislation. And now in Virginia, as of this month, Ralph Northam has signed the Reproductive Health Protection Act, overturning a handful of common sense laws aimed at protecting women, meaning that these weren't overtly forms of pro-life legislation that were trying to specifically target and decrease abortions. They were more common sense procedures and policies that helped ensure better health protections for the lives of women pursuing abortions. And he, in one bill, overturned all of these. According to Live Action News on April 10th, the two bills, SB 733 and HB 980, repeal Virginia's laws requiring a 24-hour waiting period and an ultrasound before any abortion and overturn multiple other regulations and safety standards meant to keep women safe. As previously noted by Live Action News, the act will, quote, do away with common sense requirements such as ambulatory surgical center standards for abortion facilities, a 24-hour waiting period, delivery of informed consent materials, and a trans-abdominal ultrasound before an abortion. The bill would also allow non-physicians, such as physician's assistants, nurse practitioners, and certified nurse midwives to commit abortions. No more will legislators in Richmond, most of whom are men, be telling women what they should and should not be doing with their bodies, Northam said in a statement. The Reproductive Health Protection Act will make women and families safer, and I'm proud to sign it into law. Well, of course, putting aside the linguistic gymnastics necessary to call this type of policy safe, this is what happens when you put ideology before facts, before common sense. Chaos will always ensue when you do that, when your narrow-minded ideology blinds you to anything outside of your frame of reference, of your frame of vision. And so in the name of pro-abortion ideology, Northam has overturned common sense laws that even common sense pro-choice advocates ought to support. Contrary to the lies about making women and families safer, 
here is how Northam's Reproductive Health Protection Act will actually do the opposite, will actually endanger the health and lives of pregnant women seeking an abortion in the state of Virginia. We're going to briefly go through these as quick as possible. And I kind of just want you to see the damage that pro-abortion legislation has on families and women in states. While the proponents of that legislation claim to pass it, under the guise of protecting health and families and the safety of those families. So firstly, the Reproductive Health Protection Act is going to remove the requirement for abortion facilities to meet ambulatory surgical center standards. Now, brief observation, this is sort of funny and ironic. During this coronavirus public health crisis, right, everyone got on board with temporarily banning elective non-essential surgeries, in order to free up personal protection equipment and in order to curb the infection rate of the virus. But the abortion industry and their political serviles, what did they insist? They insisted that the surgery of abortion was essential. That was the only surgery that they were willing to die fighting on, to die fighting defending, that that surgery shouldn't be temporarily banned while every other form of surgical procedure was. However, apparently, that very essential surgery of abortion should not meet ambulatory surgical standards that every other form of surgery is required to meet. If it's so important and such an essential form of surgery, abortion, shouldn't it be required to meet the same standards as other healthcare centers that perform surgeries. You would think, so how does giving abortion clinics in Virginia a free pass to not have to meet the standards for ambulatory surgical centers make women safer? Well, Northam has no answer. Secondly, the Reproductive Health Protection Act removes the 24-hour waiting period that women had to wait before they could get a surgical abortion. Now, Pro-aborts have always hated the mandatory waiting periods that pro-life legislators have successfully passed across pro-life states. Why? Because such legislation assumes that the choice in question is one of enormous moral significance that ought to require some thinking over. Take a day. Make sure this is what you really want to do. If it was just removing your tonsils, it would be strange to suggest or force through policy that individuals contemplate that procedure for 24 hours. So you see, it assumes that the choice in question has moral weight and moral significance to it. And this assumption sends the opposite message that the pro-abortion movement wishes to send, namely that the choice of abortion is no more morally significant than the choice to remove your tonsils or tooth. So they've always hated laws that require a 24-hour waiting period for a woman before she gets an abortion. However, politics aside, a 24-hour waiting period is not unreasonable given statistical realities of the relationship between abortion and mental health, between the various risks that women will incur physically and psychologically after and obtaining an abortion. For example, there's a 2018 study in Sage Open Medicine entitled The Abortion and Mental Health Controversy. And it examined a series of past studies that addressed the effects of abortion on the mental health of women. And here's just one line from their study. The association between abortion and higher rates of anxiety, depression, substance abuse, traumatic symptoms, sleep disorders, and other negative outcomes is statistically significant in most analyses, the review 
found. And there's, t there's plenty of these studies showing the increased risk and likelihood of various mental health issues after an abortion. But the abortion industry and their political serviles never want to advertise that information because in so doing, they would be admitting what? That abortion has a deeply moral component to it, that we're not just removing clumps of tissue. And maybe this is a decision that should be thought over. So it's not unreasonable to require a 24-hour waiting period, even from a pro-choice perspective, because you do want women to realize some of the health risks that they might open themselves up to in getting an abortion, and maybe they should think that over. Thirdly, the Reproductive Health Protection Act removes delivery, the requirement of delivering informed consent materials, and this goes along with the same point. Abortionists will not be required to inform a woman seeking an abortion of all the possible risks and benefits. And anytime you undergo a surgery or a significant procedure, you're the person performing the surgery, the healthcare provider is required to get your informed consent to make sure you understand what you're consenting to the downsides and the upsides. But if it comes to the dismemberment of a human in your womb, Ralph Northam does not want women to be informed and then therefore give their informed consent before that abortion. Fourthly, the Reproductive Health Protection Act in Virginia removes the requirement for transabdominal ultrasounds before an abortion. Now, this will only make abortion more dangerous. Ultrasounds are very important and needed before performing an abortion for a couple different reasons. One, to diagnose the gestational age of the baby. And secondly, to rule out the possibility of an ectopic pregnancy. So you need to know how old the baby is, how large they are, because that's going to dictate what type of abortion procedure you perform. And you cannot di properly diagnose an ectopic pregnancy before it becomes problematic without performing an ultrasound. And if you're not aware that the woman has an ectopic pregnancy, then her life could be on the line. So this is very important for the health and life of women, even if you don't care about the health and life of the baby. Ralph Northam doesn't care about endangering these women's health by removing the requirement for transabdominal ultrasounds before an abortion. And fifthly and lastly, the Reproductive Health Protection Act in Virginia will allow non-physicians to commit abortions. That would include physician's assistants, nurse practitioners, and certified nurse midwives. And I believe Andrew Cuomo in New York did the same thing in January of 2019. Well, arguing that women and families are safer when healthcare workers who are not licensed to practice medicine can perform abortions is a hell of a sell. To open up the doors to more healthcare workers, none of whom are are explicitly licensed to practice medicine as physicians are to perform abortions on women. That's a hell of a sell if you care about the health and lives of women. This is the danger of a narrow-minded ideology, of a commitment to ideology above and beyond anything else that blinds you to anything else outside of your field of vision that would be important and pertinent in making policy considerations and decisions. Well, the dangers for Ralph Northam and for the women in Virginia are the health and lives of women that, that Ralph Northam is willing to endanger in the name of increasing access to abortion. And this reminds me of George Orwell's character, Winston, in his seminal 1984 morally and politically prophetic book. And we've talked about this book before on the show because of its relevance to our time today. Winston says in the book is he's encountering 
this the ideology of his day that in the end the party would announce that two and two made five and you would have to believe it it was inevitable that they should make that claim sooner or later the logic of their position demanded it not merely the validity of experience but the very existence of external reality was tacitly denied by their philosophy the heresy of heresies was common sense what this means is that when your devotion to a single ideology consumes you, you end up creating an upside-down kingdom where the most common-sense types of legislation become heretical because they don't fit into your narrow-minded ideology. In the name of increasing health for women, Northam is endangering the health of unborn women, obviously, whose death he sanctions, and the health of born women by repealing pro-life laws. By the way, these pro-life laws, their objectives were not even to decrease abortion directly, but to increase the health standards and safety of women obtaining abortions. And even that type of common sense legislation to ensure better health care protections for the very women you claim to serve becomes heresy to Ralph Northam because of his narrow-minded ideology and devotion to only one goal, expand access to abortion at any costs. Well, next we're going to examine the abortion industry's new battlefront that we've been talking about a lot in the midst of this coronavirus pandemic, which is telemedicine abortions. And we're going to look at their celebrity servile, Jamie Lee Curtis, announcing Planned Parenthood's new telehealth service. But first, if you like this show and want to hear more great content and commentary from the front lines of the pro-life movement and of the abortion wars, then head on over to patreon.com slash unaborted and become a patron of the show we really need your help to expand the production value of the show the amount of episodes that we do and really just continue to stay on air and continue to bring you content in the first place particularly in the middle of this government uh nationwide shutdown where a lot of people's ability to turn profit has been compromised and has been injured we really need your help con to continue producing content for young people for the church and for the pro-life movement so if you want to support our show head on over to patreon.com slash unaborted and sign up up for whatever you spend on a latte a month or two help us at 5 10 15 bucks a month we'd really appreciate it and we'll be right back with a whole lot more Welcome back to Unaborted with Seth Gruber. So it's not just the consequences of this narrow-minded ideology coming from politicians like Ralph Northam in Virginia, but we're also seeing that coming from celebrities and from the abortion industry themselves. And so recently, Jamie Lee Curtis, the actress, joined Planned Parenthood in a Vimeo video released again on Twitter in promoting do-it-yourself abortions, promoting Planned Parenthood's new telehealth service that is their attempt to utilize this crisis to push the future vision of their ability to turn a profit, which is selling the abortion pill online and shipping it directly to your front door. So on April 17th, Jamie Lee Curtis and Planned Parenthood released a short video announcing their new program, Telehealth, with the goal of helping women access DIY abortions at home. And this is because so many abortion clinics have been suffering financially during the coronavirus epidemic. And it's a propitious opportunity and moment for them to say, 
look at how difficult it's becoming for many women to access abortions given these stay-at-home orders. We really need to be able to provide the most highest level of quality care to these women by giving them a FaceTime call with a physician and an abortionist that can then approve their RU486 abortion pill to be sent directly to their doorstep or pharmacy without having any type of physical review or ultrasound prior to that. This is them utilizing this crisis as a significant opportunity to further what they've always wanted to do, which is moving the abortion industry into the telemedicine abortion uh, arena. So here is Jamie Lee Curtis's short video uh, with the Planned Parenthood logo on it, teaming up with them, telling young women to start using the telehealth service of Planned Parenthood. Hi there, it's Jamie Lee Curtis. I'm here in my home following the guidelines. I hope you are too, but I am here today on behalf of Planned Parenthood to tell you about telehealth. It's their way of helping you during this crisis. It offers you to log on and make a, an appointment and then have a private one-on-one -on -one session with a trained and licensed healthcare professional and talk about your healthcare needs. And it's done in complete privacy and safety. And it also obviously reduces the load on clinics and hospitals who are dealing every day with COVID-19 patients and their care. You log on, you make your appointment, and you get the care you need. Thanks for listening, and stay safe, wash your hands, stay home, and God bless you all. Take care. Now, obviously, the new this new horizon of selling the abortion pill and shipping it to your door is scary enough. I want to briefly debunk a big lie that Jamie Lee Curtis attempts to get away with here. You probably heard her say she she says that in using telehealth, you will, quote, be reducing the load on clinics and hospitals who are dealing every day with COVID-19 patients in their care. She's seeming to suggest that Planned Parenthood can provide some type of care for patients who are diagnosed with coronavirus. However, this is a bl completely blatant lie because Planned Parenthood has come out and said, don't come to us if you have coronavirus, go somewhere else. In an article at Bustle entitled, How is Planned Parenthood Preparing for a Coronavirus? Written by Emma McGowan. She interviews Dr. Krishna Ubadya, a senior medical advisor for Planned Parenthood Federation of America. I quote, for people who are showing symptoms of COVID-19, fever, cough, or shortness of breath, and who usually go to Planned Parenthood for primary care, Upadaya asks that they contact their local, local health department first and follow the steps they recommend. That's partly because while some Planned Parenthood clinics do have tests for coronavirus, not all do. Your health department can help ensure you get the care you need without risking the health of others. <laughs> so Planned Parenthood is not interested in caring for patients who are, have been diagnosed with COVID-19. In fact, their medical advisor is saying go somewhere else. But of course, Jamie Lee Curtis is trying to paint Planned Parenthood in this very wonderful picture they're here to serve you and you can help offset the burden of other hospitals by going to Planned Parenthood. I know Planned Parenthood has made it very clear they do not want you to go to them if you have coronavirus. But how does Planned Parenthood's telehealth program increase the health of women? I mean, the word health is in the name, telehealth. And that's always their pitch, isn't it? That's always their sell is this is commonplace medical procedure. This is healthcare. Reproductive healthcare is healthcare. Well, it doesn't increase the health of women unless your brain is rotting from pro-abortion ideology, such that health means murdering pre-born babies and risking the health of women by mailing them the abortion pill. 
And as we've discussed actually very recently on this show, the coronavirus epidemic is the opportunity the pro-abortion movement has been waiting for in order to push the importance of teleabortion or telemedicine abortion. In an April 23rd Politico article by Mohana Ravindranath and Alice Olstein entitled Abortion Clinics Expanding Virtual Options During Pandemic, they write, FDA rules mean most patients must still pick up pills to terminate a pregnancy in person, sometimes driving across state lines multiple times to do so. In some states, patients must still make two separate in-person trips, one for a consultation and another to pick up the pills. One nonprofit that's studying whether abortion medication can be safely mailed to patients, cutting down on in-person visits, said it's now seeing more patients. Gynuity Health Project, which operates its FDA-reviewed trial in 13 states, reported a 30% increase in virtual visits at some clinics between February and March as shelter-in-place orders took hold. Patients can receive the abortion drugs without ever having to leave their homes after a video consultation with providers participating in the trial. The trial is, quote, particularly well-suited to a lot of these stay-at-home orders, said Erica Chong, a director at Gynuity. So you see, they're now rolling out a temporary trial version approved by the FDA that enables participating abortion clinics and chains to sell the RU486 abortion pill online without an in-person meeting or diagnosis with a woman and then ship it to her door or to her local pharmacy for her to pick up. Now, this is a trial run that's being reviewed by the FDA and hopefully is not given the permission to exercise in its full entirety, because this will endanger the health and lives of women, including, and most importantly, increasing the amount of babies that are killed through the abortion pill. But you see what their move is here. The abortion industry's hope is to be able to utilize this crisis to illustrate that telemedicine abortions are just as safe as in-person, so that so that following the coronavirus epidemic, when everything returns to normal, telemedicine abortions can become the new normal. That's their hope. That's their play here. But why do they want this to be the new normal? Well, because over 90% of abortions are performed in the first trimester. So there's a massive financial incentive to provide the abortion pill, which is taken through 10 weeks. Brick and mortar abortion clinics are more expensive to operate. Finding enough abortionists to meet state demands can be difficult. And the abortion pill can be cheaply produced and sold at high margins. They have plenty of reasons as to why they would want to move into this space. And this epidemic or pandemic provides them with the opportunity to do so. So just like Ralph Northam, Jamie Lee Curtis and her Planned Parenthood besties are willing to endanger the lives of both pre-born and born women while claiming they're actually providing better health care through telemedicine abortions. The political article goes on and attempts to make this case that this is just as safe as in person. They say, quote, federally funded research has found that medication abortions administered remotely have no higher risk of complications than those conducted in person. Well, that is false. And here's why that is actually necessarily false. The reason why the FDA in almost every case requires the abortion pill to be administered in person after an evaluation with a physician is because one, without properly dating the pregnancy, women are put at huge risk for incomplete abortions. The abortion pill is only intended to be used through 10 weeks gestation. And many women date their pregnancies wrong. So it's very important to figure out the gestational age of the baby 
before you can approve the use of the abortion pill. The risk for incomplete abortions increases when with the gestational age of the baby. So if you try to take the abortion pill when you're 12, 13, 14, 15 weeks pregnant, you could do some significant harm to your body. Obviously, your baby will probably still be killed, but you could end up in a very dangerous situation. So that's the first reason why the FDA, in almost every case, has required the abortion pill to be administered and prescribed in person after an evaluation. Secondly, without performing an ultrasound before prescribing the abortion pill, you couldn't know if a woman had an ectopic pregnancy where the newly fertilized human being, the new human being implants in the fallopian tube as opposed to the uterine wall. Left unaddressed or undiscovered, an ectopic pregnancy can take a woman's life very quickly and very easily. And taking the abortion pill when you do have an ectopic pregnancy can also be life-threatening to the mother. So these are so the, the ability to date the pregnancy so you're not giving the abortion pill to women past 10 weeks gestation and to identify when there is an ectopic pregnancy are the two primary and most important reasons as to why the FDA has remained involved in their regulations requiring that the abortion pill be administered in person after an evaluation. And this Politico article says, oh, well, federally funded research has found that it's just as safe to give it remotely without an in-person evaluation as it is to do it in person. Clearly and necessarily false. Remotely prescribing and mailing the abortion pill to pregnant women will not allow for any of these important medical examinations to occur, therefore endangering the health and lives of women that Jamie Lee Curtis and Planned Parenthood say they care so deeply about. In a recent press release from the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists, or AAPLOG, they cite that, quote, 5% of women who undergo medication abortions will require evaluation in an emergency room, most commonly for hemorrhage, for hemorrhaging. Yeah, it would be pretty significant then and important for these women to have an in-person evaluation and to have a location that they can go back to in case something goes wrong. Additionally, as I mentioned on this show two weeks ago, a 2000 Oxford University press study found that the average failure rate of a medication abortion is 8%, which translates to about every one in 12 medication abortion attempts will fail. So for the 8% of women who have a failed abortion attempt, they will have a dead baby in their uterus that was not properly dispelled into the toilet through the American sewage system, making them susceptible to sepsis and quick death. Again, another important reason for the FDA to be involved in the prescription of the abortion pill and in the involvement of in-person evaluations with healthcare providers whose healthcare includes the killing of preborn children. So why are Jamie Lee Curtis and Planned Parenthood so eager to push the abortion pill through telemedicine despite all of these facts and figures? You know that Planned Parenthood knows these facts and figures because they don't care about facts and figures. They care about ideology. Their wholesale commitment to a narrow-minded ideology that blocks out anything that compromises their belief system. And this is why the abortion industry is always unwilling to give philosophical ground to common sense proposals and policies because it calls into question their entire narrative and their entire ideology. For example, if they acknowledged the reality of all the facts and statistics I just reviewed with you, not only would they be morally obligated to abandon their attempt to secure telemedicine abortions, 
because it compromises the health and lives of women, but they would have to abandon their involvement with the abortion pill, period, because it compromises the health of the very women they claim to exist to serve. But doing that would carve out a huge chunk of their income and future income potential as more and more brick-and-mortar abortion clinics are shutting down. This is why a narrow-minded devotion to ideology is so dangerous. It blinds you to anything outside of your field of vision, and the vision field of the abortion industry and the abortion rights movement has always been incredibly narrow. Abortions, no matter what. Anything outside of that field of vision, they will be willfully blind to, even if it compromises the health and lives of women that they care to provide essential care to. Well, we're going to get to more about why pro-abortion ideology rots the brain. But first, I've teamed up with my new friend Sarah Vienna for a pro-life church tour. Sarah is an international speaker and singer who works in Romania and the States defending the cause of the needy and the elderly and the unborn. And our I'm Alive church tour is named after Sarah's song, I'm Alive. This I'm Alive Church Tour captures both the beauty and the truth of the pro-life position and speaking both to the heart and to the head. This tour can help your church create a culture of life that fights to love our unborn neighbors and their mothers and fathers. So happening summer 2020, this tour will fill up fast and we're extending it through the fall because of the coronavirus epidemic. So to bring I'm Alive to your church, email us at imalivetour at gmail.com. That's imalivetour at gmail.com for questions and bookings. And we'll be right back with a whole lot more. Welcome back to Unaborted with Seth Gruber. So from Ralph Northam to Jamie Lee Curtis to Planned Parenthood to the abortion industry itself, we see the dangers of this narrow-minded commitment to ideology before reality, before facts, before figures in order to pursue their highest goal, which is the most amount of abortions possible because they are a business whose profit turns on the killing of children in the womb. But why does pro-abortion ideology affect people like this? The very people who say that they're pro-choice because they claim to care about the lives of women, the health care of women, and yet at the same time are so eager and happy to compromise the health of women by ignoring regulations and policies aimed at securing better health for women, even if in turn they happen to decrease abortion a little bit. Well, this is why a pro-abortion ideology rots the brain and produces partisan hacks that can only see their own biases. Why is it that time and again we see the abortion industry and their political cronies so willing and sometimes eager to compromise the health and safety of the very women they claim to serve in the name of reproductive health care? Because pro-abortion ideology rots the brain. It's an upside-down kingdom that attacks the first and most important of all rights— the right to life. The, the very premise in the ideology of the pro-abortion movement is that we do not have a fundamental or intrinsic right to life. It attacks the most important and foundational of all rights. However, it doesn't just stop there, does it? It doesn't just attack the idea of the right to life. It turns that right on its head and says that Actually, the most sacred of rights is the right to choose. Choose what? 
choose to violate the right to life, <laughs> choose to abuse the idea of the right to life, choose to kill an innocent human being without proper justification. It calls vice virtue and attacks those who hold to timeless American virtues, such as protecting the most weak and defenseless members of our society. But when you fail to comprehend and embrace the very right that undergirds all other rights, you will likely get nearly every other moral issue wrong. If you can't get that one, the right to life, then you won't get liberty, you won't get the pursuit of happiness, and you won't get any other right, at least that you would protect in applying to all people. If you don't believe that human beings have intrinsic dignity and value from the moment they're human beings, then the idea of a right to life is a fantasy. And if that is a fantasy, then what could be wrong in killing those human beings in the womb? and willingly endangering the life and health of their mothers. What could be wrong with that? From a philosophical perspective, you've denied the very right that all other rights are built upon. Violate that one, and you can violate all of them. If you deny the most fundamental human right, then all other rights are up for grabs. And if you build your entire ideology around the belief that the right to life is a fantasy, then endangering the lives of women to increase your sale of abortions is hardly problematic. In fact, it's morally justified. Because without a right to life, we're simply playing Darwinian chess, where the strong survive and thrive by abusing and killing others. That's what Ralph Northam is doing. That's what Jamie Lee Curtis is doing. That's what Planned Parenthood is doing. In each of their cases, by removing the very types of health procedures in place to protect women in the state of Virginia before they get a, an abortion, to protect the lives of pregnant women before they take the abortion pill, or if they do, ensuring that they have good health care in place in case they're wounded. These individuals are willing to compromise the right to health, the right to liberty, the right to informed consent in order to increase their sale of abortions. Why? Because they've already violated and abused the first right upon which all of those other rights are built. If you can't get the right to life right, you're going to get all of the rest of them wrong. And if you base your entire ideology around the denial and abuse of the right to life, you will eventually self-delude yourself into believing that what you're doing is actually virtuous, holy, and sacred. When in reality, you've destroyed your ability to call anything wrong in the first place. You've destroyed your ability to critique those who say that you're wrong because you've denied the idea of objective truth and a right to life. This is why pro-abortion ideology rots the brain, because it attacks the first and most important of all rights and principles. And once you do that, the rest of them all come crumbling down. And you can abuse others in the name of virtue and in the name of healthcare, because you have now built a new ideology and a new sense of right, where ironically, you sit on the throne and the abuse of others ends up benefiting you financially. That's what the abortion industry is, and that's what they do. And we are now nearly 50 years in to this ideology gaining so much traction in the society, in our educational systems, and in our politics that you and I are now labeled as bigots and as 
sexists who want to who want to treat women as less than men by simply believing in that first and most important principle that all human beings from the moment they're human beings have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's what we do here at Unaborted. That's what the pro-life movement exists to do is to defend that first and most important right. And we will do that until we are the pro-life generation. Thanks for tuning in today. Head on over to iTunes and YouTube, Spotify. Give this show a review and a rating so we can reach more people. Like I said, it really helps. Consider becoming a patron of the show by going to patreon.com slash unaborted. And if you want to learn more and engage with me online, head on over to sethgruber.com, S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B as in baby boy, E-R. For training videos, my speaking schedule, which will start taking off again in the summer and fall, I promise, and to subscribe to my newsletter to learn more. Until next week, I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Unaborted.